Welcome to Critical Value, the podcast from the Urban Institute that explores issues of significance for research, policy, and people. I'm your host, Justin Milner. Last December, Congress passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which dramatically changed tax policy in this country. Some of those most affected by the law are in the business sector, from large companies like Apple and General Motors to small Main Street stores and startup ventures, most business owners now face vastly different rules and incentives in the tax code. What will these changes mean for U.S. companies? How will the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act ultimately impact our economy? And what will the law mean for everyday American workers? Not surprisingly, there have been a range of different responses to these questions from the White House and members of Congress. Here's Secretary of the Treasury Steven Mnuchin on the bill. I do think fundamentally this has been a game changer for U.S. businesses. You're going to see massive investment come back into the U.S. And here's Senator Elizabeth Warren. The Republican tax bill would slash taxes on corporations even further and raise taxes on millions of working families. To offer up a research-based perspective, I asked Mark Mazur, director of the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center, to walk us through the specifics and explain what we know and don't know about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Mark, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Great to be here. So I want to start out um, by asking the broad question. The Tax Cut and Jobs Act made a host of revisions to the tax code across the board, and some of the most significant changes relate to how we treat businesses in the country. So in your mind, what are the big headlines that people should be aware of? So I think there are three big things uh, that, are, that are in this uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that should be uh, top of mind. One, it's a trillion and a half dollar tax cut over 10 years. And that's a, a large tax cut by, by historical terms and uh, a large increase to the overall federal um, budget deficit. Second, there's a big change in the way multinational firms are taxed, a, struct- a structural change in the tax code that would um, allow the uh, foreign operations of U.S. multinational firms to be taxed more lightly than they were taxed last year. Uh, third, there would be a, a change in the way business owners are taxed. It'd be a preferential rate for income from so-called pass-through entities. And I guess one thing that's in the background here is the corporate tax cuts um, are permanent and the individual tax cuts are temporary. They expire after 2025. Great, so there's a range of those changes that are taking place and we'll dive into each of those. But I wanted to ask to, to see if you thought there was a coherent philosophy that kind of coheres behind this, particularly on the corporate side. Is there something that Congress and President Trump saw about corporate taxes that this bill represents? So I believe they, they, they viewed corporate taxes as too high. And so what the bill does is reduce the corporate tax rate from 35% to 21%, so a, a big reduction in the corporate tax rate, broadens the corporate tax base a bit to, to pay for some of that, and then, as I mentioned earlier, substantially changes the way multinational firms are taxed in, in a way that income from um, foreign subsidiaries of, of U.S.-based firms could be subject to, to no tax in, in the future, no U.S. tax in the future. So that's a big deal, 35% to 21%. What does that mean for the companies that we know, the Apples of the world, the Walmarts of the world? It probably means a lot more for companies that are primarily based in the United States. If they're a purely domestic company, 
um, that paid a, a relatively high tax rate, so say like a Macy's, or a retailer, they would probably be paying tax at a 35% rate last year and be paying at a 21% rate next year. Um, companies like Apple, um, drug companies, companies that have a, a lot of intellectual property and that have multinational operations would be less affected by the reduction in the U.S. rate, but more affected by the change in the way uh, foreign uh, operations of, of U.S. companies are taxed. And, and so why would this bill make Apple change course in any direction? So it will make it easier for Apple and, and companies like that to take earnings that they've already um, attributed to foreign subsidiaries abroad and de- redeploy them around the company wherever they find it to be profitable. That could be in the United States. It could be somewhere else. Um, one reason to be a little pessimistic about how much investment there will be in the United States is that interest rates are low. Big companies have had no trouble borrowing at those low interest rates. If they had profitable projects, they would have invested in them last year. The fact that they've accumulated hundreds of billions of dollars offshore in these offshore accounts um, is an indication that they didn't think they had these great profitable investment opportunities. One question that I think a lot of people have is whether these types of changes to the corporate tax rate will have any effect for ordinary Americans. So that's a, an open issue. I think proponents of a lower corporate tax rate say that it will eventually benefit U.S. Work, workers through higher wages. And, and the story they tell is that a lower tax rate in the United States will make it more attractive for companies to invest in the United States. And so more capital will be attracted to the United States, perhaps from foreign countries to, to the U.S. That capital then would be invested in plants, machinery, equipment, factories, and U.S. workers would use that. They would become more productive. Eventually, they would get paid more to reflect their increased productivity. But you sort of see there's a number of linkages in that story, and every one of those linkages has to work in order to go from corporate tax cut to higher paychecks for regular workers. So as a result of this bill, should I be talking to my boss tomorrow about getting a raise? Well, probably not. I think the way that the improved economy would uh, occur is through increased investment in capital and increased productivity of the workers, which will not show up in in the short term or or tomorrow. So uh, I'd wait a couple years before asking for that raise. So one other... one other topic that you mentioned that um, that was new to me to to hear this term pass through. So pass through, you know, I, I I googled it. There, it's all over the news. It's not a term that I'd heard previously in the past. To me, it sounded a little bit like a tax dodge, but it turns out that is not actually the case. What is a pass through, and how does that how's that changed how we're treating to pass through income in this law? So it, it's easy to think of there being two classes of business entities. Corporate entities, the traditional corporation that pays tax at the corporate level. So like General Motors pays tax at the General Motors level. And then pass-through businesses. These are things like partnerships, sole proprietorships, limited liability companies, where the income is essentially passed through the entity to the owners, whether they be individuals or or another type of entity. And so the pass-through part means that no tax is collected at the entity level, but the individual owner is, is liable for the tax on that income. So this law, this is going to have dramatic effects. Um, What does it mean for those high-income earners who are using pass-throughs as well as um, individuals? So that it essentially means that people who have income from a pass-through business will be able to get a special preferential rate that is 20% less than the advertised tax rate on that income. Um, There are a number of qualifications on this. Um, if you are in a particular type, sets of professions, like a, a law partner or an accounting partner, 
you may not be able to take full advantage of this. If you're in, um, um, if you're a, a sole proprietor, like a, you run your own consulting shop and you don't earn that much money, you will be able to take full advantage of this. But if you're a passive investor in a large real estate operation, you'll be able to take full full advantage of this. And, and what's the theory behind this? What is the kind of philosophy that this type of change to the tax code represents or is informed by? Well, typically in tax policy, we think of there being a, a sense of horizontal equity, that people with similar types of income should be taxed similarly. And so what that would argue for is no preferential rate for this type of income. It would say that whether you earn income from a business or from wages should be taxed the same. In developing this bill with a large corporate tax rate, there was a political imperative to do something for pass-through businesses. Essentially, um, owners of large pass-through businesses looked at this and said, well, if corporations are going to have a rate cut from 35 to 31% to 21%, where's my rate cut? And that's what Congress responded to. So as I understand this, it seems like one of the ramifications of this preferential rate could be that becoming a contractor it actually becomes more appealing in certain situations than being a regular wage earner. Is that true? And, and in the context of this sort of expanding gig econ economy and moving to more contracting, do you see that as one of the possible results? That's quite possible. I think that what this law does is put one more reason on the, the side of wanting to be a contractor. So not only do you have can independence and be able to do what you want to do and according to your own schedule, but now you could get a lower tax rate. On the other hand, you're trading off sort of stability and in types employment related tax employment related benefits like healthcare and retirement and so on. Let's talk macro effects. Um, I, obviously, one of the main goals of this bill is to encourage growth, and advocates made a, made the case that this that was going to take place as as a result of passing this bill. What do you foresee as some of the economic growth impacts as a result of the bill? Tax Policy Center took a look at the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and the overall effect on the U.S. economy. What we found was, in the short term, a modest increase in economic growth on the order of eight-tenths of a percentage point. But that growth would dissipate over time, and after a decade or so, the U.S. economy would be back on its pre-tax cut path. Uh, so essentially, it's a small temporary boost in growth that uh, dissipates over time. So as this law starts to take effect and starts to take hold in the coming years, what are some of the impacts that you expect to see and maybe some of the issues that might actually, that we might see as well? I think some of the, the effects that we expect to see in the business community will be companies looking at their structure, corporate structure, and changing in response to this law. And it's hard to predict at this point what those changes will be. They'll be pretty idiosyncratic and firm specific. But you could imagine firms changing the amount of debt that they have outstanding or changing the location of their foreign subsidiaries or how much investment's held in various parts of the, of the company. There will be a ton of tax planning opportunities that occur here. And so I'd expect tax lawyers and tax accountants to be fully employed in, in the future. Maybe that's the job as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Mark, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Great. Happy to be here. So while we might not know exactly how the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act will ultimately impact American companies, what we do know for sure is that businesses will be working overtime to understand and adapt to the new law. As always, we'll close with three main takeaways from the episode. One, 
the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act lowered the corporate tax rate to 21%, but it's unclear whether U.S. workers will benefit from this reduction. A lower tax rate might make it more attractive for companies to invest in the U.S., which might cause increased productivity, which might lead to higher wages for workers, but there is no guarantee that all these steps will happen. Two, the new 20% deduction for pass-through businesses will benefit some regular small business owners, but the majority of benefits will go to those in the top of the income distribution as they earn about 60% of the income from all pass-through entities. And three, research from the Tax Policy Center shows that although the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act will create a modest increase in economic growth in the short term, that growth will dissipate over time and eventually disappear. So that's our show. Thanks again to Mark Mazur for his time and insight. And if you're interested in seeing how this law will impact you, check out the tax calculator at taxpolicycenter.org. It's a very cool, interactive tool to give you a sense of how this policy translates for regular people. Big thank you to you, our listeners. Thanks for the support. And tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your family to download us. If you haven't already made the leap, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And then go ahead and give us a rating while you're there. New episodes will be dropping every couple of weeks, so stay tuned. Big shout out to Yafon Powers, who produced this episode. Thanks to Vicki Gann for her help. And Matt Johnson was our amazing sound editor. Our theme music is by Moby. For everyone on the Critical Value team, this is Justin Milner, signing out. <laughs>